everybody. So glad to see you. My name's Joe. I get to be the pastor here, and I'm glad you're here. Um, hey, I want to let you know, in case this has escaped your notice, Tuesday's kind of a big day. <laughs> okay, let that sink in for a minute. Hey, um, as you know, our church is one of the um, you know, voting places, so we're going to have hundreds of people through here on Tuesday. I want to let you know that obviously this is something we bathe in prayer and have been for a long time. But I want you to know that our overflow room, which is just down the hallway over here, it's just kind of on the other side of that wall there, it's going to be open all day on Tuesday if you'd like to come up and pray. If you just want to pray over what's happening, that room, that environment is going to be uh, kind of set up quietly. There will probably be some scriptures going across some screens. There's some prayer prompts. But at any time on Tuesday, you just come up as you feel led. If you come up to vote, you want to go pray, or you want to pray, and then go vote, if, you know, whatever, I mean, or you just want to come up and pray. That's, that room's going to be available to you. Also, last night was a pretty incredible night around here at the church. Uh, were you here? Were anybody here for that? If you don't know what I'm talking about, we had our trunk or treat event. I have never seen so many cars and people here at one time in my entire life. I don't know how many people were here, but we had seven lanes of cars lined up. It felt like Chick-fil-A at lunch. And it was like, you know, it was like crazy. It was crazy. Thank you all for all your help last night. I truly believe that that leaves a great impression on our community. It means a great impression for our church and, and for the Lord. And um, it's kind of what we've been praying about is like, Lord, we just want to be active and we want you to take those actions and do what you do with those things with people. So thank you for all your help. Got your Bibles? Go to Matthew 14. That's where we're going to be today. And just have that waiting uh, in readiness. We'll be there in just a moment. While you're finding that, let me just tell you about one of my favorite movies of all time, Indiana Jones. Have you seen it? Many of us have, of course. That's, that's a classic movie. And of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably the marquee movie in the whole series, of course. And what's not to love about an archaeological professor who is traveling the world, searching for long-lost artifacts and relics, fighting the Nazis along the way, dodging arrows and navigating booby traps and swinging over obstacles with that whip of his. I mean, what's not to love about Indiana Jones? Now, fellas, you can admit it. This is a safe environment. Confession's good for the soul. Every one of us in this room at one point in our lives has dreamt about being Indiana Jones. We've laid awake at night and we thought about what it would be like to swing from our whip across an obstacle we know what it's like. I think one of my favorite, I think the favorite movie of mine personally in the whole series is not Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's The Last Crusade. That was my favorite one. That was the one where Indiana Jones goes on the search for the Holy Grail. That's the one that I'm referring to. Um, the Holy Grail, of course, you know, is a reference to the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper. And everybody knows that if you can drink from this cup, you'll become an immortal and live forever. Of course, that's complete and utter nonsense, uh, but it makes for a great movie. Don't wouldn't you agree? Makes for a great movie. There is this, um, really, it's kind of a powerful scene in the movie. It's right at the end where Indiana Jones is right there. His search for the Holy Grail is almost complete. His search has led him to the edge of a cliff. It's a canyon, if you will, and he can see across to the other side where he wants to get to, but as he looks around, there is no way that he can get to the other side. Do you remember this scene from the movie? He, he wants to definitely, and his only clue in the whole adventure is that when he reaches this moment in the search, 
he is going to have to take a leap of faith. He is going to have to believe. He can't second guess. He's going to have to doubt. He's trying to wrap his mind around this. How am I going to get to the other, cro- other side? And he's like, I've got to take a leap of faith. I've got to step out on faith. Here, let me show you this quick clip from that movie. Here, watch this. Oh, you're like, don't stop it. What are you doing? (laughs) Some of you are like, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I'm going home today and watch it right after the Chiefs beat the Jets. And so, you know, I'm going to go watch that movie. It's hard to believe that movie came out 31 years ago. Long time. Question for you this morning. What would you say is the biggest step of faith that you have ever taken in your life? Now, just think about that for a moment. What's the biggest step of faith you've ever taken? Like Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, you're at that moment of decision, and you have to decide, am I going to step out and trust, or am I going to back away from the ledge and do something different? Have you experienced something like this before in your life? Perhaps at that moment that you might be thinking of, you can see where you're trying to go. You've maybe even visualized the step a hundred times and you've thought about all different directions. Could it even work? You can see it, but you had to decide, am I going to go or is the distance too far? Am I going to take the step of faith? Some of you in here today might be saying this, yes, I absolutely have had a step of faith like that. How do you think I ended up in Arkansas? Anybody can say that? All right. Hey, me being here today is the result of a step of faith. How many of you can say, yes, I've taken a step like that before? How do you think I ended up in the job that I'm doing? That the job that I have is absolutely a step of faith and trust. Some of you might be saying, yes, I've taken that step of faith before. And now I'm married with kids. Of course I've taken that step before. Seriously, though, some of you might say, yes, I've stood on that ledge and I took that step. Because of that, my family's restored again. Maybe since I've stood on that step, that, that ledge, and I took a step of faith, and as I'm a Christian today because I took that step of faith. You know, if you really took time to think about it, I'm confident that every single person in this room and everybody watching online right now could identify at some point in your life a step of faith that you have taken. And what are these steps of faith exactly? I would define it this way. Steps of faith are those defining moments in a person's life when trusting God is the distinguishing marker of an action. Now, I know that's kind of a a lot to take in. Let me say it one more time. Steps of faith are those defining moments. And we've all had them before, these defining moments. 
In a person's life, when trusting God, when you boil it down, when trusting God is the distinguishing marker of that action, I would simply say it like this. I'm going to move forward with this idea. I've got to move forward in this direction. I'm taking on this venture because I just trust that God is going to see me through it. And he wants me to go. It's those, those steps of faith where you're like, I don't need additional proof. I've got God's calling. I'm not waiting for everything to make sense. Uh, the stars don't all have to align for this to move forward. The experts are not weighing in anymore. I don't have every I dotted. I don't have every T crossed. It's just I'm moving forward because I trust God. That is a defining moment in somebody's life. That is a step of faith. And today we are starting a three-part series that I'm simply calling Step of Faith. And if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you know we've been talking about what? An old school faith. We've been looking at these examples from the Old Testament of people who exhibited what I call an old school faith. I mean, it's no bells or whistles. It's classic and proven it stands the test of time. It will weather any kind of storm kind of faith. When you strip away all the nonsense, what do you have left? What you have left is that, is that which will last and that which will hold. And I describe it like this. As followers today, what are we going to be? What is this kind of faith? It's just Bible-believing, Christ-centered Christians. That's the kind of faith that's going to last and weather the storms and move us forward. And so today... As we transition slightly into this next part, we're calling Step of Faith, we're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks about how that old kind of faith, that old school faith, how that motivates us to step out in faith. If we have this kind of faith, what kind of actions does it produce? What will that motivate inside of each of us? Now, there's a very uh, well-known passage of Scripture found in James chapter 2. You don't need to look there, turn there, but it'll be on the screen behind me. James chapter 2, James writes this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Have you read this verse before? We're familiar with it somewhat, so many of us are. It's one of those verses that preachers like me like to drop at just the right moment in a sermon to motivate the people. But have you, ever, have you ever really sat down and analyzed what this verse is actually talking about? He asks a very interesting question, James does in this text. If someone claims to have faith, well, what in the world is a claim of faith? That sounds great coming off of this stage, but, but what is a claim of faith exactly? Well, every claim of faith begins in the exact same way. It begins with two words, I believe. That's, that's how you start your claims of faith. So if somebody says, I believe that God created the world, that is a claim of faith. I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and every last word should be obeyed. That's a claim of faith. I believe that God loves me and that he sent the world, I sent Jesus into the world to save me. That's a claim of faith. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That it was a miraculous birth. That is a claim of faith. I believe that God has a plan for my life. That is a claim of faith. I believe that my life's greatest calling is to live for God and tell others about Him. It's a claim of faith. I believe that the teaching of the Lord can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I 
believe those things. Maybe you could sum it all up in this one grand uh, I believe statement that goes something like this. I believe that I am a sinner and I would be lost eternally had God not stepped in to save me. I believe that I am saved by God's grace through the saving power of Jesus shed blood on the cross. As a result, I get to spend eternity in heaven. Because I'm saved, I believe that God has put a calling on my life to be Christ's own ambassador to those who need to be reconciled to God. Claims of faith. What do you believe? And so James asked this question. If somebody claims to have faith, somebody makes all these claims, but yet there's no deeds connected to that. In other words, if all that faith claiming doesn't motivate you to some kind of action for the Lord, he asks a very simple question. Can such a faith, can such talk save anybody? You know what I think James is really trying to convey here? I think James is trying to say is that if you claim to have faith, but nobody can tell in your life, that you never consult God on anything, you never weigh God's will on anything that you want to do, and you never even consider it. I think James is saying, church, you just might be all talk. That's at the heart of this passage. And so he says, and what good is that? He'll go on to say in verse 17, that kind of faith, all by itself, if it's not accompanied by some kind of action, is dead. One of Jesus' disciples said the same thing this way. Uh, John said this in 1 John three eighteen. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So how do you know if your claims of faith are actually real and genuine? It's, you know they're real and genuine is when your steps of faith, how you proceed through life, back up everything you claim to believe. So we come back to you. These steps of faith are those defining moments in a person's life when trusting God is the distinguishing marker of that action. And I hope you know the Bible is loaded with these kinds of steps of faith. We could look at the life of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. And he was a man in the Bible. He was not an Israelite. He wasn't part of God's chosen people. But he knew something about Jesus and his son who was paralyzed. And he found his way to Jesus. And he told him about his son. And Jesus says, I will go and I will go with you. And the man's like, no. No way you don't have to go with me because I know who you are. If you just say the word, I know he'll be saved. And that very moment, the, 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 the boy was healed. And Jesus said this to the centurion, I've not found anyone in Israel. Translation, I've not found anyone among God's chosen people that have the kind of faith you have. How about in, in Luke chapter 21, this widow who went to the temple to put in her offering, and she put in two small little coins, and it's not even worth even a penny. It was, it was pretty much worthless to anybody else. And Jesus took notice of it. He calls his disciples. You see the lady over there? She's put in more than everybody else today because she gave all she had. And that action right there is, is her saying, I trust God with my well-being. It was the distinguishing marker of her trust that I believe in God. He will take care of me, not these two little coins. Incredible faith. In Luke chapter 8, there was a woman that we read about. who The Bible says she had an issue with bleeding, and she fought this for years. And we read about this moment 
where, where she fights through this crowd. What's the, the picture is Jesus trying to get through the crowd, and people are all around him. They're rubbing shoulders. I mean, it's, it's a chaotic scene. And this woman fights her way through that, and she just gets a touch on Jesus, and Jesus stops everything, and he says, somebody touched me. And they're like, oh, everybody's touching you. No, 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 no. I felt the power go out of me. It was an incredible moment in Scripture. This woman believed that if she could just get close enough to Jesus, if she could just touch Jesus, she could be healed. And it was that trust that defined her actions. It was that trust that was the, the, the distinguishing marker of the action to get close to Jesus. You look in the Old Testament. You have Noah. He built a boat. Why? Because God told him to. It didn't make sense to anybody else on the planet, literally. But Noah stepped out and trusted God, and that was the distinguishing mark of his action. God told Abraham in Genesis 12 to do what? God told him to leave his country, his father's house, his homeland, everything, and go someplace. He didn't even know where he was going, and he went. We know a little bit later that, that God blessed him with a son, and God said, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. It doesn't make any sense to us, of course, but Abraham followed through, and he's about to do it, and God stopped him, provided a substitute. What motivated his step of faith, it was this trust in God. Everything comes back to that. God told Joshua to do what? March around the city of Jericho for seven days. And he did it. And what happened on the seventh day? All the walls fell down and Israel got a great victory. There is not a military strategist in the world that would advise you that marching is the key to success in battle. But the reality is Joshua got his marching orders from God and he trusted God that what he said was true and that was the defining marker of his step of faith. He just trusted God. I, mean, I could give you example after example from the Bible of people who took big steps of faith and when you stop and analyze them, God, trusting God was that distinguishing marker. Their step of faith was grounded in the belief, God's got me, can trust what he says, and I can move forward. Perhaps the most memorable step of faith in all of Scripture is found in Matthew 14. Do you got it open in front of you, Matthew chapter 14? This step of faith was a literal step of faith. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people. He only started with a few loaves of bread and fish, but he prayed over it and it multiplied. They had 12 basketfuls left over. And after everybody was, had filled themselves with food, Jesus sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee um, on their own. And the Bible says Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray, just to be alone for a little bit. In the middle of the night, while the disciples, the Bible says, is some distance away from the shore, uh, there was a storm, and the waves were against them. They were battering the boat, and the, the wind was against them. They were really struggling, and this situation deteriorated that even a group of fishermen who spent their whole life on the Sea of Galilee were afraid of what might happen next. This went on for several hours, and then this happened. Look at, look at chapter 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, which is a loaded statement. I have been blessed in my life to actually be on the Sea of Galilee before. I've been on a boat right out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. If you ever get that opportunity in your life, I highly encourage you to. 
The Sea of Galilee is not actually as big as what you might think. I was even surprised by, you know, um, how small it was. In fact, when I was, um, um, uh, when I read the Bible and I, and I hear the Sea of Galilee, I think of miles and miles of open water. But no, that's not exactly true. You can see right across to the other side. Uh, the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is eight miles across. From north to south at its longest point is only 13 miles. It's a good-sized body of water, but it's not like the Mediterranean Sea. It's not like Lake Superior or anything like that. It's surrounded by mountains. See, a galley actually kind of sits down in a bowl, and so as you're there and you look around the hills, you can see, oh, I can totally visualize how Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray, and Jesus is there, and he sees his disciples even with a storm under the moonlight. Maybe you can see the silhouette of the boat just a few miles out there into the sea. He never took his eyes off of his disciples, not once. But just before dawn, Jesus starts walking out on the water to them, and they think it's a ghost. And let's be honest, we would probably all think the same thing. I don't believe in ghosts. Not a holy ghost, but I don't believe in any other kind of ghost. But I think if I was in the boat that day, and I saw a man walking on top of the water, several miles out into the Sea of Galilee, I don't know if I could come up to any other kind of conclusion other than it's a ghost. That's what they, that's what they do. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's me. Take courage. So obviously, there was more than the storm that night that they were afraid of. And, 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 and then something happened that nobody could have predicted. Not one person there that night could have predicted. It was a defining moment when trusting God became the distinguishing marker of a certain action. Look at verse 28. Lord, if it's you... Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. If you know the details of what happens next, Peter, what's he do? He swings one leg over the rail of the boat. Now imagine this boat is going up and down, this water splashing in, the, the, all of their hair is, is blowing. If you can imagine something as awesome as that. All their hair is blowing in the wind, their clothes are blowing. This is a storm. And then Peter swings his other leg over the boat. And there he is. His feet are in the water. I've got to believe, the Bible doesn't say, but I've got to believe that some of the disciples, maybe Peter's brother, he was on the boat with him, grabbed him. What are you doing? Well, what do you think you're doing? You can't go out there. You're going to drown. I mean, I just visualize this. You know, create this scene. So, somebody had to try to talk some sense into Peter here. It was at this moment... Peter had to make a decision in his life. Do I believe Jesus, who happens to be just a few feet away? I don't know how far away he was from the boat, but they could see him. They could talk to him. Do I believe Jesus, or do I swing my legs back inside this boat and stay put? That right there, my friends, is a pretty significant decision. He had to decide, do I believe Jesus when he said come, or do I allow the fear of the moment keep me from an opportunity to do something that others could only dream about? You know, Peter had to make a decision right there with his feet in the water, sitting on the edge of the boat. Do I believe Jesus when he said come? Or do I let the unknown keep me from experiencing what could be the biggest blessing that I'll ever receive in my life? And I wonder, have any of you ever sat on the edge of that boat with your feet dangling in the water trying to make that kind of decision. I wonder, anybody right now, 
trying to make that kind of decision. Do I believe Jesus? Do I trust him? Or am I going to climb back into this boat? You, you know, in many ways, friends, that's how you could describe where we are at right now as the church too. When I think about where we're at today, the New Life Christian Church, we are Peter. We've got both legs on the outside of the boat. Our feet are in the water. And we've got to decide if we are going to walk towards Jesus. And some of you are looking at me right now going, hmm, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about a vision that God has put on this church family that not only, that, that not even the coronavirus could squash. Amen. Let me tell you something that many of you already know, that God has been so faithful to our church family. Not just in recent days, but I could tell you some stories about what 2020 has been like and God's blessing. But not just this year, but during the lifespan of our church, God has truly been at work and done some absolutely amazing things. Earlier this month, we laid to rest um, a, a lady by the name of Jackie Carter. A lot of you don't know who Jackie Carter was. Some of you do. To my knowledge, Jackie was the only remaining charter member of our congregation. And what that means is, you go back to the very first day of our church, go all the way back to the early 70s, Jackie was there. She was a part of that group, and she'd been with us ever since. A lot of you don't know this, but uh, our church started across the street underneath a tree in front of Reardon Hall. Do you know that? That's the beginnings of our church. And now here we are, almost 50 years later. This church turns 50 in a couple years. And here we are, still going strong. And not once, not one second of all of those years, has there ever been a time when God took his eyes off our church or pulled his hand away from leading us. God has been there guiding us the whole time. You want to talk about steps of faith? You are sitting and worshiping the Lord right now in a room that represents a step of faith in the history of this church family. In recent years, God's blessed our congregation with what many would call rapid growth. For, for reasons that make sense to God, there's over a thousand people that call New Life their home. And many of you will recall earlier this year, which seems like forever ago, but earlier this year, right before COVID raised its, its ugly head, there were services, and some of you were a part of that, where we couldn't squeeze one more body into this room. Remember those? There were many Sundays where, where uh, uh, we were out of parking lot, parking space, for long before the service started, and many of you, many of you know what this experience has been like that have been around for a while. You, you park across the street at Reardon Hall, get my, my direction straight, you park all over there, and you hopped on the shuttle, and you rode over, and, and you did that because you're like, you know what, I'm, I, I'm saved, I believe, this is my church, but not everybody that's going to walk in here today is that, and I want them to be able to park close to the door. And you did that, and we've been doing that for a number of years so we've had some space issues here at the church, and, I, and you know, again, some of this review, we've looked in every option out there to try to make more room here, create more parking, but this is just not possible. So God put on our heart to do something else, to take that next step, and 
And I'll tell you, we felt God was leading our church to become a multi-site church. Well, what does that mean exactly? A multi-site church means that we are going to be one church that's going to meet in multiple locations. So not multiple churches, but one church meeting in a couple different places. And um, we've seen God do some amazing things with churches just like ours that uh, needed to figure out some things to keep growing and evangelizing. And this multi-site scenario seems to be working for many, many churches. But, you know, for us, I want to be very clear about something. Creating more space and opening up more parking has never been the driving force in any of this. It is something that needs to be addressed. But when God laid this multi-site vision on our hearts that goes back a number of years now, it has always been about evangelizing this community for Jesus Christ. That has always been the goal of every thought and every action and every movement towards becoming a multi-site church ministry. And we felt that God was putting this on our heart to do it out on the west side. We prayed all over our community, and we really felt God said, I need you to be out here, out on the west side. This is where the highway is going in. This is where we need to expand. This is the area where a lot of our folks drive all the way here to, to come to church. And so we started to explore out west. Um, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm outlining this for you, and I know a number of you already know this, but I also know that many of you do not. This is brand new information for you. And that is because we have had many, many people find New Life Christian Church in 2020. It just hasn't been obvious. Here, here's the thing. When coronavirus hit in March, and we, like many other churches, had to make that decision. Do we, what do we do? There were so many unknowns. And so we, like 99% of all the other churches, was that we're going to shift, never closed, shift our ministry to online. And in many ways, that felt like a big mm, lug slowing down. But what we felt would be this huge obstacle, God used to expand our reach in ways we never saw coming. And what felt like a blow turned out to be a, a, a blow of wind into the sails of the church. And, 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 you know, I don't know if you can see that or not, but what I can tell you right now is that what we thought was going to be a disadvantage turned out to be God's blessing. And isn't that just the way that God works? Yeah, it's been challenging for sure. But I tell you all that because uh, since we started regathering these last three months, I've been the pastor here for six months, for six years, six years, yeah, six months. I've been the pastor here for six years, fastest six years of my life, by the way. Um, in those six years, I have never seen a higher concentration of first-time guests and returning guests who are exploring New Life Christian Church like I have in the last three months. Many of you in this room today found us online during coronavirus. I know many in our church family right now are still joining us online. In fact, many of our church family are watching me right now through that camera. They're joining us live right now online. In fact, if you're part of our church family, you're watching, click like, let everybody know, hey, I'm still here. This is my church. I'm with you. Do the heart emoji. That's good too. What are some other thumbs up? Let us know because we know you're still with us. There's going to come a day when uh, those who are joining us online will regather with those of us who are gathering now, plus all the new folks that God has brought 
to us. And when that day happens, we will be fuller than we have ever been in the history of this church. I'm convinced that coronavirus will be behind us in the not-too-distant future. I'm convinced. I want to believe it. So I'm convinced myself. There's going to come a day when mask and social distancing will be a thing in our past. And all this is going to come together. And uh, yeah, you can... But I'll tell you, friends, I'm convinced God's put this multivision um, in our lap. And just to prove that to us, those of you that have been journeying with us these last couple of years, in 2019, out of nowhere, we didn't see it coming. It's a neat story how it all did. God dropped 15 acres of land on our church right off the bypass. I don't know if you've driven out there to see it, but God gave that to us. And if you get on the bypass and you take it all the way until it stops, and you look off to your right, you're going to see signs and stuff. You're going to see this wooded area. That's ours. And there's going to be a church out there one day. And it's going to be fantastic. God bless us with that. Not only that, within six months of that blessing, it was completely paid for. And we're still a debt-free church today. And that's a huge blessing of God. And so, you know, I mean, God has blessed and positioned. And he's been a part of this all along. And it feels like God has turned all the lights green every step of the way. And then... COVID hit. The big wave of coronavirus came over us. How many of you have been wondering um, during this extremely strange year of 2020, what's been happening out there on the west side? Have you guys, what's been happening with that west campus? Has that thought come to your mind? What are, is that moving forward? I, I, we haven't talked about it very much because we have been so focused on, on you know, navigating online and, and regathering, all this stuff. So we haven't really talked about it much. Would it surprise you if I told you that we never took our foot off the gas when it came to planning out the West Campus. Would that surprise you if I said that? Would it surprise you if I told you that while the church shifted all of its ministry to online, and when everything seemed like it slowed down because of this, would it surprise you if I told you that we had never been busier working towards that next step? Would it surprise you if I told you that that entire 15-acre property has already been laid out and that there is a multi-phase master plan that shows exactly how the new building will sit on that property and how it will expand with us in every phase of our growth moving forward for years? Would it surprise you if I told you that? Would it surprise you if I told you that every phase of the West Campus has already been designed by a team of architects, and I could show you, if I wanted to, the exact floor plan of what that building is going to look like, would that surprise you? You know what's interesting? The Saturday night service, when I was going through this, they were like, yeah! Whoa! Whoa! And you guys are like, hmm. <laughs> hmm. You're much more contemplative. Eat some donuts, friends. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Would it surprise you if I told you that we have high-quality renderings of the new building, and I could show you exactly what it looked like? Now you're getting it. Would it surprise you even further 
if I told you that not only could I show you pictures of the new building, but we have computer-generated animations that actually take you on a guided fly-through tour of the entire new building as if you were actually walking through it built. Well, whether you are... <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, whether you are surprised or not, everything that I just told you is absolutely true. And uh, absolutely. I'll tell you, we have been prayerfully following God's lead on all these next steps ever since God put this multi-site vision in front of us and has provided the land to see this thing through. COVID has been a worldwide storm but I'm telling you, right here at New Life, we are still on the water. We are still being buffeted by the waves. We are still trying to sail against the wind, but we are still there. And Jesus is still out there walking on the water saying, come, come on out. Swing those legs out of the water. Come to me. Now, let's get back into Matthew 14 for just a minute. Look at verse 29. What happens next? Jesus said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. And I know there's more to the story, friends. That's why we're spending three weeks in Matthew 14, and we're going to unpack this more. But let me tell you some Steps of faith are those defining moments in a person's life. And I would say even in a church's life, when trusting God and simply trusting God alone, that does become the distinguishing marker of an action. In front of us as a church is a step of faith. God put the West Campus vision in front of us. He provided the land for it to go on. Not, a, not even COVID could slow God down as we saw all the plans come together. And let me tell you, I've never seen a project of this magnitude come together as smoothly as this one has. Tell me God's not in this thing. He is. He is. He's proven it. So your question right now is, well, Joe, are you going to show us this building? And I'm going to tell you, yes, we are. But not today. I know, it's a big tease. It's a big tease. Soon. 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 You know what I love about that scene from the Indiana Jones movie that I just showed you at the beginning of the sermon? It's that once Indiana Jones finally decided to step out on faith, when he decided to just risk it all and go, it was only then that he realized the bridge that's going to take him across, had been there all along. He just couldn't see it. He couldn't see it until he stepped out on faith. Here, let me, let me go ahead and show you the rest of this clip. sometimes the West Campus seems like it's a long way away. It's like a big canyon. And you're like, how are we going to get to the other side? But I promise you, there is a path, and it's been there the whole time. We just need to keep stepping out on faith, one step at a time, 
God will keep revealing the bridge in front of us, and I'm looking forward to unpacking more of this as we go forward over these next couple of weeks. Let me just say a word to those of you who are newer to our church family, or maybe you're even here for the very first time, or maybe you're watching online right now, and you're looking for a church. You're trying to figure out the next steps in your own life. You're on the edge of a huge step of faith. Come join and be a part of what God's doing. Come be a part of a movement that has momentum, that's being blown along by the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? I invite you to explore your next step of faith of what God's doing in your life. And I would love to sit down with any of you who uh, is exploring our church family, even online. I'd love to sit down with you and talk about perhaps how maybe God's bringing you and this church family together. But like I said, I look forward to unpacking this for the next few weeks. I hope this whets your appetite for the great things that God is up to. And I want to encourage you, church, please be on your knees about this in prayer. Come alongside. Let's put all this before God, and let's watch God do some amazing things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this time together. We thank you, Lord, for how you continue to move the needle, so to speak. Not just in a building, but in our lives. Lord, I pray for anybody here today, right now, who is on the edge of a step of faith. Lord, I pray you help them weigh that against your will. Weigh that against your holy word. Weigh that decision based on their trust in what you say. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room today, right now, who the step of faith they're thinking about is, should I even follow you? Oh, Lord, I pray that today has been the day where for their life, you're out on the water saying, come, come follow me. Come enjoy a brand new way of life, a life full of hope and joy, freedom from forgiveness of sins, where the old is gone and the new has come. Lord, we just lift all these things up to you in prayer. We ask, Lord, for your help in them. In Jesus' name, amen.